0: Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, what is up? This is Jesse Kramer speaking. Welcome to episode 20, number 20 of the Best Interest Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to bring Brennan Schlagbaum onto the podcast. He and I have a really cool discussion about some interesting psychological parts of personal finance and investing. But before I introduce Brennan, I want to tell you guys some good news. What is the good news? Well, the Best Interest Podcast now has a sponsor. The sponsor is Personal Capital, and let me tell you about them. You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal Capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, Personal Capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with Personal Capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's Personal Capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. My guest today does boots-on-the-ground work one-on-one with real people looking to make progress from their financial struggles. So that work, along with his excellent ebooks, have gotten him noticed. He has over 50,000 followers on Instagram and over 10,000 on Twitter. He recently launched perhaps his biggest work yet. It's an online course called Budget to Financial Freedom. And on top of all that work, he's a certified accountant by day. So I suppose you could say that finance is a significant part of his life. And I'm very excited to pick his brain today. So joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio is Brennan Schlagbaum, better known by his social media handle, The Budget Dog. Brennan, what's up, man? How you doing today?
1: Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. I I just hope I
1: don't get swept away from the tornado and monsoon happening outside my house right now.
0: Well, that's funny. (laughs) We got that last night. Uh, It was very brief. It was like little popcorn storms or pop-up storms, whatever they call them. But 3 a.m., we had big thunder and hail roll through over here in in Rochester. Um, (laughs) We'll see if we get some good sound effects in the background today. (laughs) But I wanted to start, Brennan. I'm assuming some of my listeners, they, they don't know you, but I think they ought to know you. So can you give us a little, maybe two minute elevator pitch about your story and how you got involved in this work and and what it's been like for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I started about two years ago with the at budget dog through all my social medias and a little bit of background before that actually started was kind of what drove up to that point. So 10 years ago, um, I'm dating myself now, but you know, at 20 years old, I was in college. I was ready to get that degree. That's all I went my whole life. I was. That was my aim. That was my goal. And I was taught that college, nine to five, that's the thing to do. Your success if you achieve that. And so that was everything I knew. And I got to the end of college, and I realized I had forty thousand dollars in student loans on my plate, Um, and I had multiple other, you know, loans on top of that. We got a house right after that. Of course, the car comes. Of course, the wedding ring comes. Of course, the bed that I slept in comes. Um, There were loans everywhere. And it was alarming because as a CPA, I finally got into the professional field, messing with balance sheets, income statements, and all that stuff. So I went into my personal financial statements. I put those together and wow, we shot out a number that was scary to look at with $300,000 in debt. So my wife and I kind of came to that uh, reality really fast after school with like, we got to do something about this. Like we've been told up to this point, this is what success is called. And we're sitting there staring at a $300,000 plus debt. And that's considered normal. And to us, we're like, where is anybody saying anything about this? Like, why is nobody like yelling and screaming like this is not okay. And so we got on a plan, we got on a budget, um, we got we had a balance sheet, we, we learned how to maximize uh, how to use that, you know, end of the month uh, amount over from the budget and move that toward the balance sheet to reduce that debt and use the amortization schedules to map out the plan. And so we did that. And we realized non-mortgage debt of $76,000 could be done in about a year and a half. We knocked it out um, in a year because of the intentionality behind it. Once we got in that plan, we're like, we need to make more money, cut more things. Let's get this thing done faster. And it ended up being a whole year. uh, All bonuses and that stuff went to it. So fast forward is we went through that process. We were able to do all that. And I was like, hey, I need to start. I, I loved the process in a way. I loved and hated it. But I was like, let's find a way to help more people do this exact process and plan that we just did, because this is definitely helpful. So I took it to friends and family um, and I started helping them and, and they loved it. You know, there's some friends that were like, wow, you just like changed a lot of how I looked at things. Like, I can't believe like I had that much debt or I was able to pay it off that fast. I thought I was in debt forever. I had no idea I could do it in one and a half or two years. And so I started thinking, I was like, this is catching on, but I I. Don't have the marketing. I don't have the business behind it. So how do I do that? How do I reach as so many people? And so that is where Budget Dog came into play. Um, I started a social media account. I had no idea what I was doing with social media. I I use social media. I grew up in that in that age, so I knew what it was, but I didn't use it to, for a business. I was just mindless scrolling, and so I had to learn a lot. And so there was a learning curve that was associated with that. It took 16 months to really get going. Uh, so I had 16 months of pretty much no no sales, no revenue, and It was just kind of an account, right? And so October, 2020 is really when it started picking up. I wrote my first book and uh, had some products out there, was working on a course, got linked up with Chris Johnson and the Wall Squad, which is the shirt right here, Get Money by Income. And there was a lot that just all of a sudden sprung forward. So it was like that 16 months kind of sucked. But once I started going and all of a sudden, clients were signing up with me left and right, you know, June, 2020, right now, we I've had over thirty clients sign up with me, one on one consultations, whether that's a full financial plan or just kind of a general conversation with the starter kit I, I offer, and wow, it, it's been amazing. So that's kind of where Budget Dog uh, came from, kind of my personal unique story, and I spun it into a business really fast.
0: That is awesome. So let me see if I if I get this right. So three hundred k in total debt in your early twenties, seventy six of it was non mortgage. You guys, you and you and your your partner, your wife, pay it off at least the 76k really fast. And I know in the background you're also paying down your mortgage aggressively. We will come back and talk about that. I hope. We
1: better talk about that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then share it with your family. It goes really well, which I can totally relate to because really the, the best interest started as me sharing content with my coworkers, with my friends and family, and them saying, Hey, why don't you throw this online, see if it sticks? So totally get right. that. Social media. I completely agree with being a consumer of social media and never really understanding or even thinking about how to leverage it as a tool. That's really right. only something I've started thinking about in recent months and it's it's cool to see it to see it build. And I love the story Brennan of kind of seeing flat results, flat results, not much traction for 16 months, but then really what's going on in the background is all your work is compounding. You just don't really see that curve growing yet. It still seems pretty flat, but a couple yep. things fall into line. And next thing you know, your, your proverbial rocket ship is taking off. So congratulations on that.
1: And, and a little bit on that, just to touch on, on some small businesses out there listening to this and saying, Hey, when is this thing going to hit? When, it, when am I going to make it? Um, and I still feel like that today. Like some people might consider like what I built, um, pretty successful. But I look at it as like, I want to go to that next level. I always want to hit the next level. Um, so small businesses out there thinking about like, Hey, when, when's that time when you don't really know, and the 16 months I look back and it's easy to see 16 months And if I was like, Hey, it was only going to take 16 months. This would be easy to, to start and do it. You, you don't want to get hung up on a specific timeline, just realize. The the work that you're putting in will compound, like you said, and it will play out into your favor if you're putting out good quality content that people like. So stick with it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great tip. That's a great tip. And I'm curious, you mentioned you're always pushing for that next level that you're you're reaching for higher goals. Do you have a, a long-term goal for where you see budget dog? Whether it's is it a business that supports you so that maybe you can leave the CPA career behind and you're going on your own? Do you want to build it out where you have multiple employees? Do you want to be the next Dave Ramsey? What, what are your What are your goals with Budget Dog?
1: A lot of people do because of the aggressive debt payoff. They relate me to Ramsey a lot. But um, so, so my I guess my my ultimate goal would be to run my own business and not have a huge. Like some people are like, "Are you going to run and make this public eventually?" I'm like, "No, that's not the goal. I want to keep this small from a small business perspective. I would love love to grow exponentially." with maybe a few employees, but I don't want to make this a public company at any point in time, um, at least in this right now, as I'm thinking through it, uh, I do want to grow it to significant revenues to help and extend to multiple different families throughout the United States, and even internationally if we can. So what that kind of looks like in a nutshell is maybe three or four employees tops long-term and to where I can sustain it. Now, if I have to grow the business, I will grow the business with hiring more people. But I like to keep it, and and it might be one of those I I want to be involved with everything type of thing. And I got to mm-hmm. take a step back sometimes as I grow this. But I like to put that personal touch on a plan with a with a client. I realize if I if I want to grow this, I got to take a step back and realize I can trust this person to do what I'm doing. And that's where I, I'm in that growth mode right now. And I, I'm to take it to that next level. That's where I'm um, at currently.
0: That's really cool. I really like that. Um, I can, I can relate with the frustration or maybe that's not the right word, but it's hard to let go. And I'm at a point now where I like to do everything myself. And I know if I do want to take things to the next level. I'm going to have to start outsourcing work or hire on an assistant because it's just getting to be too much. But uh, finding a way to focus on the, the aspects that you love sounds like the best of both worlds. You're doing only the things you love. Your business is growing. You're able to, to run your business as, a, as a, your sole source of income. So many cool things there. All right, Brandon. Well, one thing that, that I focus on, and then I think you focus on too, is explaining the, the why, the reasoning behind certain decisions you make. Because your listeners, your readers, or your clients can better understand their, their different options and end up making decisions for themselves. So I was hoping you could talk us through a couple of the choices that you've made in your money life starting with your, your choice to aggressively pay down your mortgage?
1: This is my favorite conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, shout out to David at Uncommon Yield for our recent debates on Twitter. But here's here, here's is in a nutshell, right? Like a lot of people are like, why would you do this? The math doesn't make sense. The math, the math, the math. I love the behavioral finance aspect of it. And that's why people compare me to Dave Ramsey all the time because he talks about the 80-20 thing. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think money and I think life is way more behavioral than a dollar amount or a math math equation. That's just me personally. Um, and I've understood that through different decisions I made throughout my my time, i.e. the mortgage, right? So we were, of course, paying off that $76,000 of debt in one year, non-mortgage debt. And we got to, I don't know, I, I can't even remember exactly the age, maybe 26, 27 years old when it happened. We built that emergency fund. We made sure that was set and forgotten about. Um, We started investing aggressively, right? And so we paid a little bit extra to our mortgage, uh, but we weren't like super aggressive right off the bat. So we went maybe a year where it was like a little extra, maybe $200, $300 a month. And then we really were like, okay, we have, we're 27-ish years old, 28. We want to have a kid in the future. Mm -hmm. we aren't in a position in our careers that we love our jobs we we like them they're okay but they don't wake me up and get me going and when I started budget dog account and I realized how much energy and enthusiasm I had each and every day when I woke up on the weekends for it I was so energized I I would wake it's kind of like right now like I love to wake up and think about this and do this every single day I have multiple client calls today after this podcast and I realized Over the first six months, I was like, okay, this is starting to be a thing. And this is, I know it wasn't revenue driving, but it was, it was something I really liked to do. And so I realized, okay, in order to do this full time, I got to create a business. And also in order to have a kid and be able to stay home with her um, in the future, if I'm able to pay this house off really fast with what our revenues and income says we can do it in, I could stay home with my daughter, do this job full time and focus on my passion like who wouldn't want to do that um from obviously we're going to lose a bunch of revenue when I quit the job eventually because that's mm-hmm. the plan that's the exit plan but I don't care um that's not what I money does not drive me a lot of people think I do because I'm a money account uh money does not really ultimately drive me but freedom and time freedom with my daughter uh having my house paid off that's what drives me and so I looked at it as, okay, obviously, if I continue to invest in a taxable brokerage, yes, in 20, 30 years, I would have more money. I would My net worth would be higher, all that kind of stuff. But what would happen now? And so a lot of people say, well, look at the long-term future. I agree. I'm a very long-term outlook type of guy. But you also have to look at your your life now. You don't want to sacrifice your whole life to get to the, the future. So when you're 70, you're like, oh, I finally made it. And that doesn't sit well with me. So I, I kind of like to balance the two. and while I'm very focused and intentional in the now and the future, I also want to maximize the now. And so if I'm able to, if I wasted all 20 years with my daughter, she's off to school, but Hey, my net worth 500,000 higher. Like, does that really, what, what does that do for me? So, so that was the whole driving factor behind the house. It was like, I can stay home with her, be a present stay at home dad for 20 years, 18 years and not have a mortgage payment and eventually get my wife to the same position where she can stay home as well. That's what drives me. And so that's where the mortgage debate came from. Um, And that's exactly why I'm paying it off early.
0: That's a beautiful answer. So it sounds like personal finance is personal. It sounds like money is a means to an end. And that's something that so many people confuse in my, in my work here, that a lot of people think money is the end. And really, it's not. It's a means to an end. It's a tool to allow you to live the life that you want to live, whatever that may be. Right. For some people, that means I want to get $10 million by the time I'm 50 and move to a tropical island. Okay. For other people, that means I want to go off and start my own business when I'm 30 and stay at home with my daughter and watch her grow up and be there for her entire childhood. Right. That's an amazing answer.
1: And we go on vacations all the time to, let's say we were just got back from Hawaii, right? We've gone Mm -hmm. to Curacao. We've gone to Cabo. We've gone to Punta Cana. We've gone to some really cool stuff. And that's cool for a week. But that's not the lifestyle I really want to live. I want to live like my my whole seven days a week in doing what I want to do. And so running my own business, being home with my daughter is a lot more exciting, 365 than, hey, for the other, you know, however many days we're going to work and do kind of the crappy stuff because I want 500000 or a million dollars more in 20 years. Like that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sit with me. Um, and so I look at it as like, let's kind of rearrange this game plan. Let's make sure we're investing for the future. We're doing 20% of our gross income. We're not ignoring that aspect, but we're also going to say anything over and above that, let's use that to our benefit because we've earned that income to make our life better. And that's ultimately what it's a means to an end type of thing. Um, and I recently re- listened to a podcast or uh, presentation by the wealth dad and his, his conversation was. Uh, his $400 extra to the, a month of the mortgage was going to his house originally, right? And so he decided to stop doing that and put it towards his brokerage because at the end of this 18-year period that he was talking about, he would have $46,000 more, but he would have a mortgage for 18 more years. And I literally looked at, I was watching the presentation. I was like, wait, you value 46,000, and all due respect to Sean, he's an awesome guy, but mm-hmm. $46,000 is that really worth keeping a mortgage around for 18 more years? And in my opinion, I was like screaming, like not a chance. Like, forty-six thousand dollars does not sit well. Like, I'm like, uh, it's okay, it's a good, good lump sum, but for 18 years of a mortgage, it's worth to just not have a mortgage, but not have that forty-six thousand. In my opinion, and I actually did the math: forty-six divided by however many years that was, 18 years, it worked out to be about two hundred and twelve dollars extra a month. Hmm. Now, two twelve is is good, um, but is it worth? keeping a mortgage around. And in my opinion, it would, just was not. Um, so a lot of people look at it differently. Some people look at it from a math perspective. I look at it as from the right here and now is like, I have this opportunity that's pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. I created this opportunity out of thin air and I wasn't expecting it necessarily. This wasn't where I saw my life going. Um, so it was kind of a pivot from where I've always been told I'm, you know, I'm at the manager level at 29 years old. So my next step is that senior manager level, and then maybe a partner at a big, a big CPA firm. So that was kind of the route I was going. I was like, "Hold up, let's screech the tires. Let's think about this before I jump into that that life. Do I really like that? Do I really want that?" And I look at the people around me at work, and um, great people, but are they happy? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Um, but my gut says no. So, yeah, they might make two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, a million dollars in some situations, but do I want that lifestyle? And quite honestly, if we're talking about my own business versus that, it's it's just so, it screams to me, let's run my own business. Let's stay home with my daughter. It's it's just very evident.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I have a list of five pillars on my website that are kind of, they guide me through my work and they let my readers and my listeners know where I come from. And one of the five pillars is personal finance is half math, half psychology, which you've already said right now, Brennan. Uh The math part is fairly objective. It's math. But the psychology part is completely subjective. And some people want to become that partner in the firm. They want the $300,000 salary. They want the nice car, the three houses. They want the esteem that comes with it. And that's their subjective Mm -hmm. choice. And that's fine. For them, maybe the math makes sense to dump everything they can into as many investments as they can. But for you, and also for me, I, I, I fall on your side of this debate, at least where I think I, I pay a little bit extra towards my mortgage every month because I don't necessarily want to become the senior partner and I don't need the esteem that comes with that. I have other motivations. So my psychology is a little bit different from Dave's, who you mentioned earlier at Uncommon Yield. It's a little bit different from some of the listeners, probably, who want to maximize their returns. We each have a different psychology.
1: Right. It's powerful um, because so many traditional financial people will just go to the money and they'll say x plus this plus this equals this that should be your ultimate outcome do not do what you feel is good do what the math tells you but the thing is it's not a yolo let's just do whatever we want to do and we're just going to say screw retirement there is a lot of like calculated decision making on a personal level that you're still doing and another thing is the inputs that often people are using are just traditional inputs. That life doesn't play out like that. And so your eight percent that the average people are using for a lot of these calculations aren't mm-hmm. always it doesn't always work out to be that way. Sure, we could do um eight percent forever and hopefully we get that that's that would be awesome. But if you look from certain periods in time, your eight percent's zero percent to be honest. So if in fact I was paying off my mortgage during one of those times, it would actually work in my favor from a math perspective too. And people often forget that because I think the generation we're in hasn't really experienced an 08, living in an 08, most people. Obviously, March 2020 was a pretty, hit some people hard, but there was nothing like 2008. And, and at that age, I was, I think, 12 or so. I think I was six, 2008. No, I was in high school at some point. I think mm-hmm. I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing is, like, people forget, like, risk and risk adjusted returns. And I think they need to start to factor those things in when they make these math decisions, not just the best case scenario type things.
0: Yep. I was uh, 17 in 2007, 18 in 2008. I remember watching CNBC with my dad and kind of asking him what is going on? I don't, I don't understand right. these terms that I see that now I do. It's kind of cool that now I understand <laughs> what, ha- what happened. But I remember being confused, but going through that now would be a completely different experience I just posted uh, some cool charts yesterday on Twitter showing the annual average return. And let me back up a step. You mentioned 8%. And for the listeners who don't know, 7, 8, 9%, that's what a lot of people use to estimate the annual return that they'll get from their stock investing, 7, 8, 9% per year. I just posted some charts showing 30 year returns. For all rolling 30-year periods in the S&P 500 history. So 1900 to 1930, 1901 to 1931, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of periods in there where you only got 4% or 5% return on your 30-year investing timeline. There are other periods where you got 10 or 11%, which is great. But what we're doing with paying down our mortgage is that we are guaranteeing risk-free some return that's equivalent to what our interest rate is my interest rate on my mortgage is about four percent i'm not sure what yours is brennan but but we're guaranteeing that return risk-free while also investing on the side it's not like we're neglecting investing altogether. so i come from the point of view that it's a it's a balanced approach and it's a risk uh a risk-minded approach instead of just focusing purely on numbers
1: right here's something i really two things so the, the My dad lost his job in 2008. Mm-hmm. He lost his house. He lost his car. He had four boys in Catholic schools. My mom was a teacher. That was a rough period in my family. I was young, so it, I didn't really fully understand it. But looking back, that actually impacted me. So I see like the reality of possible downturns in the economy. And people were living in this almost fairytale world from 2014, 2012 to like, current day. Outside of March 2020, it's just like these insane numbers going up. And they kind of forget, like, guys, there will be a time where, you know, of course, the big gurus are saying the market's going to come crashing the biggest ever. And they could be right. They could be wrong. Who really knows? But the thing is, like, you have to be prepared for that rainy day. And you don't know if that's a rainy day or a rainy period. So uh, people often forget that. And and that was something that impacted me as well uh, during that time.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that mindset you mentioned the bull run that we're on is absolutely a historic bull run that's been lasting now for nine years and counting. Some would say 10 years and counting. I think the average return has been 13 or 14% per year over these last 10 years, which is way above normal earlier. you know, I mentioned that 7, 8% per year. And it's easy to stand here now, especially people like you and me, Brennan, who really have only been investing in this last decade. It'd be easy for someone to look at one of us and understand if our opinion was, dump it all in the market. Look what it does. It goes up 14% a year. But if we zoom out a little bit and get that slightly longer term view, we say, well, what about 2008? What about the 2000.com bubble? What about stagflation in the 70s? What about, well, the Great Depression? The Great Depression might not happen again. I don't want a fear monger, but the idea is a rainy day. I loved it. You mentioned a rainy day, or maybe it's a rainy period and after four or five years of a bear market people might look at us and say oh maybe i should have been paying down my debt a little bit more
1: right and and i guess the, the last point i would definitely want to make on this mortgage debate is i have a 2.375% interest rate on a 15 year loan that's my my um, current situation so it's a mm-hmm. really low interest rate people would say you're crazy paying off cheap cheap debt one thing that i think people are forgetting is your mortgage is often your biggest payment so Although you're paying that off very aggressively, when that's gone, your biggest payment likely, maybe a quarter of your take home pay, is gone entirely. And so if in my situation, if we're able to reduce that debt by a significant amount and you know, reduce that payment entirely, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna have the confidence to go full time with my business and propel that into a business that nobody can put a number on. And that's my biggest, my biggest, I guess behavior slash math reasoning is like, I don't know that number yet. So I can't say, hey, because I quit my job, because because I put 100% of my, my business, I actually ended up better than if I would have stayed with my job and put that extra money into a brokerage account. There is no number, I can't prove it out. But I can promise you, I know myself, and I can guarantee I come out better in the long run.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool math. So what you're saying is, yes, you might be giving up uh, the the stock market return versus your mortgage return. But if we fast forward a few years, you aren't gonna have your mortgage anymore. And so you're gonna take that hypothetically, let's say $2,000 a month that you're paying on your mortgage right now, and you might be able to invest that into your own business. And the return on right. investment in your own business, what you're saying, and I know your work ethic is, uh, I call you to other people. I say, Brennan's a workhorse, I can just tell. <laughs> What you're saying is that your ROI on that money is going to be far greater than the eight percent that the stock market might give you. Your business might grow 100%. at 20% yes. every year. Absolutely.
1: I I believe full fully in that. And it's it's I can't prove it. Um, so it's it's at this current point in time. Now 20 years from now, I could look back and say, guys, I, I told you that, but I don't want to be that guy.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. I get it. But that, that's the definition everybody on Twitter always likes to say: invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. <laughs> and they don't always mean financially. Sometimes they mean, right. you know, go read a book, go take a course, go go practice something. But that is true, <laughs> investing in yourself. I love it. <laughs> well, Brennan, let's switch gears and just head over to our rapid fire questions. So the first one is, uh, what's the last material object or personal luxury that you spent $100 or more on?
1: So I'm going to resort to my vacation because that's the easiest thing I can think of. Cause that was way over a hundred bucks, but I don't buy personal, I, I really don't buy personal items that are very expensive, hardly ever. Um, so I would say my Hawaii vacation would be definitely that.
0: Awesome. Experiences over material goods. I love it. Do you, um, sp- I mean, you're the budget dog. And, and when I think of spending a lot of money on an item, I think about how am I going to budget that? And so I use the tool called you need a budget. But if I understand you correctly, you've built your own budget using Excel. Is that right? Your own kind of tool that Correct. you use? Very cool. And and people can, is that a free tool or is that a, a paid tool? How can people get their hands on that if they want to?
1: So it's in my link in my bio. So if you guys go to my link in my bio, it's the very first link up there. Um, it is a paid tool, but it has a okay. course and community. And it's an Excel document that uh, is bar none from I'm An Excel nerd, so I put a lot of time into this, right? <laughs> it, right, I think it out far outpaces any mint. You need a budget, personal capital in the course. I do talk about using those to input into the, the Excel sheet, but I think the output that you get is a little better.
0: Cool, so it's find social media or find budget dog on social media. Go to your profile, there's a link in your profile, you can find the budget tool there,
1: correct? Yeah,
0: okay, very cool. Next question, Brennan, what is a good habit that you're trying to form or a bad habit that you're trying to break?
1: I would say the the good habit I'm trying to form and continue to form is consistent um, health with eating well as well as going to the gym. And I've done this for ten years for the most part. but to keep that consistent habit up is a challenge. Like there are times on the weekends where you feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to the gym today. I don't know if I want to get pizza tonight. like that's a very normal thing. so just to consistently keep that going because I think my health is going to become more and more important as I age. So I'd say that's my number one thing.
0: Very cool. Are you familiar with Michael Batnick? Have you ever heard that name? I've heard the name. So, so he's got a big Twitter profile. He's also got a great blog called The Irrelevant Investor. He's on a couple really cool podcasts. One of them is called Animal Spirits. It's one of my favorite podcasts. He's a great writer. And he published an article this week that was re- pretty sad. It was a, a tearjerker about his mom. It was the 10-year anniversary of his mom passing away. and But he's a money guy. The gist of the article was, one of the gists of the article was, your health is so important. At the end of the day, what are you doing on this money journey unless it's to find ways to live more years and happier years, and your health is, is the way to do that. So fully support There's been that.
1: a few days where, I would consider ourselves in a good financial position. There's been a few days where I wake up and maybe I had too much at a, at a drinking at a wedding or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do I feel good? Absolutely not. Health means everything. So if I wake up, I have a bunch of money, but I don't feel good, it does not work out. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. If I have a headache, I don't care about my money. I feel horrible. Like you have to feel good in order to do things.
0: <laughs> Completely agree with that. All right, Brennan, not that your other messages haven't been great because they have been, but if you had a billboard, if I gave you a billboard and you had one message to share with the world, what would that message be? What would you say?
1: Do better. So each and every day, I think you can take it one step further. The common 1% better each and every day, I think is very, very powerful. People try to like practice or try to get to this exorbitant amount or goal overnight. And it's just not realistic. Taking that step-by-step approach to get to that goal with time is going to be a lot more beneficial than trying a million times to, to hit, you know, go to the moon, per se, as, as their kids are saying on social media. Instead, just invest in index funds. Uh, just go to the gym every day. Practice excellence in the ordinary to where you don't have to hit the big grand slam, hit the single, hit the double, and eventually you win the game.
0: That's awesome, Brennan. If people want to do better and they want to ask you how, how can those people reach you?
1: So my social media handles on any of them, you can DM me. Uh, Go to Budget Dog, and I have obviously my coaching programs, but just I would say DM me, reach out to me first, tell me your situation. I like to talk to people. Um, My Instagram is the best to reach me out because they have voice messaging, and I like to talk to people. So if I'm able to talk to you and understand your situation, I can guide you in the right direction. So I would say DM me across the board, but definitely Instagram.
0: Gotcha. So Instagram, that's Budget Dog is your handle on Instagram, and that's the best way to reach you. Right. Yep. Very cool. Thank you, Brennan. Really appreciate you coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it, man.
0: It was a good time. Thank you again to Brennan. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your insights with us today. And like Brennan said, you can go find him on Instagram or on Twitter, at BudgetDog, and I will link his work in the show notes. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog. You can follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest_jc. underscore JC. If you find this content valuable and you want to give back, I have three options for you, and it's all free for you. Absolutely free. Option one, pretty easy. Subscribe to the Best Interest Podcast from the app you're listening to right now. Option two, leave a rating of the Best Interest Podcast. I appreciate it. And option three, leave a review. Tell me what you think. I read every single review I get. For example... BH said, Jesse has a way with words. He brings complex ideas to life in an interesting way for someone like me who usually falls asleep at the first mention of finance. He balances beginner topics with more specific niche ones we should all probably be aware of. I'm a big fan. Thank you, BH. I really appreciate that feedback. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of the Best Interest Podcast. I want to get $10 million by the time I'm... For some people that meet... Oh my gosh. (coughs) Sorry about that. You're good.